You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. We have been spending these weeks of Lent exploring the last words of Jesus from the cross. Each week we have been asking ourselves, in other words, why does the cross matter? What does the cross have to say to both the most mundane and the most serious parts of our lives today? And with each word we've identified another word that captures perhaps what Jesus is getting at as he speaks those last words. We've talked about how the cross teaches us about forgiveness, about salvation, how it draws us into deeper relationship with one another. We've talked about how the cross reveals to us that even in those deepest moments where we feel alone, abandoned even, we are not alone. That perhaps in those very moments, God has drawn nearer to us than God has ever felt before. And so today on this Palm Sunday, we hear these verses of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And yet at the same time, we cast our sights further down the road to the Friday that is still ahead, where we encounter a very different kind of triumph. So friends, let us listen now as we hear this final word Jesus speaks from the cross. A single verse from the 19th chapter of John's gospel. Let us listen once more for a word from God. When Jesus there upon the cross had received the wine, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, like the songbirds on a spring morning, sing to us a new song through these hard stories. Indeed, O God, we pray that through the work of your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered together here in your sight would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Greg Robinson was a confounding choice. Not only had he never managed in his prior roles even a fraction of the 10,000 people that were now placed under his direct supervision, but the project he was inheriting was also one that was already 15 years late. And nine billion with a B dollars over budget. It was a project that by the time he took it over in 2018 had almost been canceled. Three, four people had lost count, honestly, how many times it had almost been scrapped. 
On top of all of that, this was a project that had a 50% schedule efficiency, which I had to look up. You MBAs out there probably know it. That means that up until that point, 15 years late, only about 50% of the pieces, the tasks that were set out as part of this project were actually accomplished on time, if at all. This was a project with 300 what they call single point failure possibilities, which means that there were 300 individual things that if only one of them went wrong, the entire project could have fallen apart. Prior to this particular project, the organization overseeing it all, their biggest project beforehand to date, had only had about 70 single point failure possibilities. 300. And not only all of that, but this project had 10 new technologies that were incorporated into it. Right, 10 technologies that had never seen the light of day outside a laboratory, never actually been used in any real world application. And yet for this project to succeed, all 10 of those brand new technologies had to function flawlessly. Now, Greg Robinson was a brilliant man, is a brilliant man, but he's also a quiet man. He doesn't have that forceful kind of personality that surely you have to have to get a task as monumental as this one across the finish line. And apparently Greg Robinson thought that about himself as well because when offered the job, he politely declined two different times. But finally, the powers that be impressed upon him that he was the one. And sure enough, With his quiet humility, with his focus on the small things born out of a philosophy that if you get the small things right, then the big things will also fall into place. On account of that kind of leadership, Greg Robinson and those 10,000 people, and I suppose in a way all of us realized, well, let's call it triumph. When on December 25th, 2021, three years after taking over the project, the Webb Space Telescope launched into space. A telescope that has been considered by some to be one, if not the greatest marvels of human engineering ever devised. A telescope that is quite literally a time machine looking back billions with a B of years into deep space, into the past of our cosmos. A telescope that many people, scientists and scholars alike, believe will change how we understand life itself. This confounding choice of a man and Greg Robinson single-handedly helped reverse the tides and literally get that telescope off the ground. His higher-ups now say that Greg Robinson is, for all intensive purposes, the most effective leader of any mission in all of NASA's history. 
a confounding choice to a masterful leader. You know, the clock on Palm Sunday is nearing T minus zero. And I don't know about you all, but I stand up here today rather confounded. Right here is our supposed savior, high atop the Mount of Olives, sitting not on one, but according to Matthew, if you look closely, two donkeys, preparing to descend down into Jerusalem. Here is this man who, in the three years leading up to this point, has lived a life that has been plagued by schedule inefficiencies. Everywhere Jesus went, he'd get distracted. Oh, sinners and prostitutes and Pharisees, would you like me to come eat with you? Sure. Why not? Everywhere he went, he would pause whenever the moment struck him to heal the poor and the dispossessed. Everywhere he went, he would sometimes just find himself getting distracted and he would go away for days, weeks sometimes, on these sojourns into silent solitude, praying in quiet places. Imagine that. Everywhere he went, he would get distracted as he started to preach or teach to all the good religious people, even though most of the time they never listened. I would be shocked if Jesus even had a 50% schedule efficiency. Right here, Jesus sits on Palm Sunday after leading a life for the past three years where his budget was impressive, not so much for how much was spent, but rather for how little he spent. Here is Jesus who has been going about this messianic mission where every single thing is a single point failure possibility. Where every single person is a single point failure possibility, starting with the 12 people closest to him. Just stick around for a few more days and you'll find out what I mean. Here is Jesus who people say is supposedly the son of David, but where are the swords? Where's the army? Where's the show of force? Here is Jesus, king, but where's the red carpet treatment? What is it with these cloaks and these palms? That's no welcome for a king. I mean, aren't you confounded too today? Aren't we all just as confounded as the entire city of Jerusalem was 2,000 years ago when they looked at this person on the Mount of Olives and they asked, who is this? Friends, Palm Sunday is the day that begins the week where we learn that everything Everything is the opposite of what we expect. That nothing is quite as it seems. For today, today is when we learn that a donkey can be the very vehicle of our deliverance. 
Today is the day that begins the week where we learn that our hosannas, that we cry at the top of our lungs today, are just as capable of slipping into cries of crucify him. In just a few hours' time. Palm Sunday is the day where we learn that nothing is quite as it seems, because today is the day where we learn that a meal, well, a meal is so much more than just a meal. Today is the day when we learn that an instrument of torture can, in fact, become the sign that reveals to us a love that is deeper and larger and brighter than any love we ever conceived of before. Larger and brighter and deeper than even the deepest cosmo that that telescope will one day show to us. A love that is capable of gathering in all of our collective hurt. A love that is capable of gathering in the brokenness of our world. A world where we learn yet again that children, that children cannot even feel safe in the place where they should be safest. This is the day that sets in motion a week where we will learn that this sign is one that reveals to us a love that is bright enough to reach the deepest crevices of broken hearts. Nothing is quite as it seems on Palm Sunday. For today is the day where we learn that grief, that grief is not forever. Today is the day where we learn that to surrender one's spirit, in fact, does not mean to surrender one's life. Today is the day that sets in motion a week that will reveal to us yet again that even in death, there's victory. On Palm Sunday, we discover, in other words, that triumph, that triumph in God's kingdom doesn't look much like triumph in ours. No, today we learn that triumph Well, triumph sometimes can come from the most confounding of people and the most confounding of places. For today is the day when we discover yet again that when our Savior hung upon a cross uttered those final words, It is finished. In fact, what he was revealing to us is that it is actually all just begun. Nothing is quite as it seems on Palm Sunday. I wonder if this year we'll follow Jesus down that hill and discover that truth for ourselves yet again. Friends, let us pray. Gracious God, for the triumph that you have achieved in your son, Jesus Christ, 
our hearts are grateful. Oh God, give us the conviction of that truth and the courage to follow. For we pray this all in the name of the one who marches even now into those places of deepest trouble to show us the good news that though nothing is as it seems, all is right. We pray this all in his name. Amen.